Gang, since they opened in 2012, I've been talking about the amazing rehearsal spaces and fabulous recording studio at Space Rehearsal and Recording here in Austin. Well, gang, Space has upped their game over the last couple of years and added a couple of new factions. One is a video production studio. Space ATX has taken the major leap forward in their evolution to serve Austin's music community with their new video production department. They're now offering professional video production for bands, live streaming, live sessions, podcasts, and just about anything you can imagine. They've also added a creator studio. Maybe you want to take your TikTok or YouTube videos to the next level, or it's time to stop using your cell phone pics for all of your PR photos. Their newest production room is waiting for you. You can also book their in-house video or photography services or bring a freelancer to get the job done yourself. That's Space Rehearsal and Recording, located just a few short miles south of downtown Austin. They now offer rehearsal studios, audio recording, video production, a creator studio, and more. Go to spaceatx.com to find out more. And take the talent train from Schmoesville to Protown with space, rehearsal, recording, and video production. Let's get down. Johnny, I'm your host. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys all had a good weekend, whatever it is you did this weekend. And also, I want to thank you for tuning into this episode of How Did I Get Here? I know you have a lot of choices out there, and the fact that you chose this episode on this day to listen to means a lot, so thank you. Gang, I had a good weekend. Uh, the band I play with, Skyrocket, is back to work. We had two gigs in Houston, uh, one on Thursday and one on Saturday. So I went down there with my dog, Rosie, and my girlfriend, Jenny, and we spent the weekend hanging out at my grandma's house. And I went out and played shows while she hung out with my family and, and my cousins and stuff. So I played on Thursday at the Houston Botanic Garden, and that was a good time. We played a party that I still don't quite know what it was for. I don't. It was a pretty small party. There was like 40 or 50 people there. But it was a really good time, man. They were fired up, and the Houston Botanic Garden is just a gorgeous, gorgeous place. Beautifully landscaped, as you can imagine. Beautiful plants everywhere, gorgeous sculptures, really nice walking around there. And uh, Friday, Jenny and I just hang out, hung out with my grandma and my aunt all day at my grandma's house. That was a great time. <clears throat> my family really likes Jenny. Jenny gets along with my family, so it was really fun. Then Saturday, a few of my cousins came over. I headed out to, uh, to play a gig for Memorial High School Class of 83's 40th Class Reunion. That was a good time. It was at this place called The Post in Houston. That has like a food court and like it's a huge entertainment complex. They have a big, uh, I think they have a music uh, venue there. And we played on the roof where there was a tent thing. And 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 we it was also actually pretty awesome, man. Those people were fired up and they had a great, great time. So did we. And uh, and then sat, uh, Sunday came back to, to Austin, picked up Jenny's mom in LaGrange. And I dropped them off at the airport because they went to uh, to New Mexico. I came home and crashed out because I was tired. That was a long, a long weekend of stuff to do. But anyway, gang, it was a great weekend. Looking forward to it. I do want to say that if you live in Houston, Skyrocket's returning there this Friday. We're playing uh, Friday, September 29th at Last Concert Cafe. Come on out. It's always a good time out there. Go to skyrockettheband.com to find out how to get tickets and stuff. That's this Friday. 
uh, September 29th. And then uh, Saturday, we're going to, uh, to Hunt, Texas to play some private thing out there. It's a long drive. Anyway, gang, I have a great, great, great show for you today. Singer, songwriter, guitar player, pedal steel player, amazing, cool dude all around from San Francisco. Tom Heyman is my guest on the show today. Now, he's, he's been putting out uh, solo albums for the last couple of decades, since about 2000, 2001. And he is coming, his, he's releasing a solo album next Friday, October 6th. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous record called 24th Street Blues. You can find it at TomHaymanMusic.net. Now, uh, it also comes with this beautiful, beautiful illustrated songbook done by his wife, Deirdre White. It's really gorgeous. As I said, go to TomHaymanMusic.net to find out what's going on with San Francisco's Tom Heyman. Man, we have a great, great, great conversation. Now, uh, you might know Tom. He's had songs in television shows like Justified and True Blood. Uh, but he also, outside of putting out solo albums for the last uh, two decades, he's also been a, a prolific sideman playing with a lot of people. Firstly, he started off in a band called Go to Blazes that was around from the late nineties to the or from the late eighties to the late nineties. That was uh, very inspired by like uh, bar bands that were around in the late eighties in Texas, like the Tailgaters and stuff. It's really interesting. He talks about that, and uh, and then he went on to play with the band The Court and Spark. Which, uh, which had uh, MC Taylor from His Golden Messenger in it. He ended up playing with his, with his Golden Messenger. He played with Alejandro Escovedo, John Doe, uh, Chuck Prophet, all kinds of people, but all the while putting out solo records. And uh, this one's absolutely fantastic. Uh, 24th Street Blues comes out next Friday, October 6th. Now, uh, we have a really great conversation about everything about how hard it is to start a band, you know, when you get older, uh, from being a kid and sort of like being. Uh, uh, kind of changing his mind about religion that he was raised with and seeing it a different way about uh, his songwriting process, his connections to Austin by playing here with Court and, with the Court and Spark and with his, his Golden Messenger so many times and probably also with Alejandro and uh, making records here and always uh, coming down here for South by Southwest and whatnot. But anyway, he's up there in San Francisco now. 24th Street Blues is the name of his uh, of his latest record. Comes out next Friday, October sixth. And as I said, he played with His Golden Messenger, and uh, and he was in uh, the Court and Spark with MC Taylor from His Golden Messenger. Now, sometimes these podcasts, I'll do them, and the publicist will say like, "Hey, can you hold it until like around when the record comes out?" And I'm like, "Sure," but I did this one like at the end of July, beginning of August. And in between that, I did talk to MC Taylor from His Golden Messenger. And on episode 1307 that came out about a month ago on August 28th, uh, I asked MC Taylor about, uh, about Tom Heyman. And this is what he had to say. It's pretty awesome. This is just a little bit of what he had to say, actually. He went on for a couple of minutes, but this is just a little snippet of what he had to say. Oh, there was something I wanted to tell you. There was a guy that I talked to, uh, Tom Heyman, who played in The Court and Spark. Tom Heyman is a dear old friend. I mean, you want to like talk about true musical teachers. He's one of my biggest musical teachers in my life. I would always like, I would always credit him as introducing me to so much stuff that is so foundational in my understanding about music and records and what is like good and you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That was MC Taylor from His Golden Messenger. You can back to, go back to episode 1307 from August 28th. As you know, 
The last 100 episodes of How Did I Get Here are available on all the streaming services, wherever it is you listen. But if you want to go back and be on that, you have to go to the Podbean app or go to podbean.com and scroll through all of our episodes. Anyway, isn't that sweet what he had to say about Tom Heyman? Yeah, my conversation with MC Taylor is fantastic, man. Episode 1307. Uh, My conversation with the great Tom Heyman is also fantastic. His new album, 24th Street Blues, drops October 6th. That's next week. Uh, You can also find his illustrated songbook done by the amazing Deirdre White. Go to TomHeymanMusic.net. Great conversation with an amazing dude and such a phenomenal talent. This is me and Tom Heyman chatting it up. Let's get down. There was a time I couldn't stand to be alone I was desperate for something Desperate for something I was so sure I could make it on my own I was desperate for something Desperate for something I could feel it Just beyond my outstretched hands I li- when I was a kid in the 70s, uh, probably like 1977, I lived in Nicasio. Oh, uh, I was just there. Yeah, I that's, saw that. Um, yeah, you played at a place like that place has been around forever because that's where we used to go, like to eat and see people play when I was a kid. Owned by Huey Lewis's manager, ex-manager Bob Brown and his wife, who you probably know. Angela Straley. Oh, no way. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in Austin. Do you yeah. come down to Austin much? I saw you did a, uh, you played on an Alejandro album. Uh, I was in Austin a fair bit. It felt, well, it felt like um, I, I was there um, in, you know, for four different, when I, my old band Go to Blazes played South by Southwest four times okay. and we kind of had, uh, a friend of mine from college lived there and owned a studio uh, called Sweatbox. Oh yeah. So Mike Vasquez was went to we went to the same college, and so we would always just stay at his house. Mike has long since moved on and yeah. reopened his studio up in the Pacific Northwest and is on a different adventure. So we had sort of connections to Austin, um, and you know. Uh, and then I, when I was playing with the band, the court and spark, we played South by Southwest. And then I went back several times when I was playing with Chuck profit, you know, we would do a couple of night stands at the continental club. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's gotten more Chuck's thing at the continental has really turned into a thing now. Yeah, it's like yeah. his career is a thing. And then, you know, I played with Alejandro for on and off for a little while. What years? And so, uh, I was like, when he was doing solo stuff, he would come out to California and I would be like his guy. Okay. So never any rehearsal or anything like that. Right, right. It was, it was him and a cellist. I can't remember the cellist. Brian it wasn't Brian. It, was, it wasn't Brian. It wasn't Brian. It wasn't Brian. No, it was another guy. Uh, um, Steve Bernal. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, that was, I guess Brian was, couldn't make those trips or something like that. Um, so, you know, I played with him a handful of times out here and then I did a, a kind of a, a three week tour with him that included a recording session with Chris Stamey and it was right before he 
collapsed. Okay. So that was, that was in, that would have been 2002, 2001, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. Huh? Yeah. It was like, I, we, we did like a, yeah, he, he, we were supposed, we were, we did this, like the tour started with rehearsed in Austin. The tour started in, uh, La, uh I want to say near Lafayette, Louisiana and this like roadhouse thing where we was like doing, doing a weekend and we were supposed to leave. We played a Friday and a Saturday. We were supposed to leave Sunday morning. We didn't leave till late Sunday night cause Al couldn't get out of bed. And, uh, and then we just carried on with it and it just, you know, the rest of the tour was all right. And, uh, and then like six months later he was in the hospital. Right. So, yeah, that was a crazy and that was time. Me, Hector, Andrew, Duplantis. I guess it was just me, Andrew, Alejandro. I don't, I can't remember. Yeah, and Brian was on those as well. Yeah, so I was playing guitar and pedal steel, and uh, awesome. You know, I've played with him a few times since then. You know, since he sort of like got better. Played with him at, at South by Southwest, and uh, not South, at. Uh, Hardly Strictly Bluegrass in 2006. That was exciting. It was sort of peak powers then. Yeah, 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 yeah. I listened to your, I was like, I, I did my homework on you, so I, I had a gig out in Martinez. <laughs> I, I just want, you know, and so I, I, I had a gig in Martinez on Saturday, and it's like an hour out and an hour back, and I uh, I listened to the, your interview with Al from 2012. yeah. It was just um, really, it was really great. Yeah. You know, we had to stop because someone was drilling upstairs. But I remember when I stopped, he looked at me and very seriously said, uh, hey, I'm not talking too much about myself, am I? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> that's the point of this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's just so, he was so good. So, uh, I don't know, just sort of kind of relaxed and comfortable in his skin. And I knew, you know, I knew a lot of those stories cause just cause I knew him and, sure. and it just like, he just has such a good, he's just so low key charismatic yeah. that, uh, that it was just like, Oh, okay. And, and just really funny also in a, in a very, like you tell his stories, there's just sort of this bemused thing about a lot of it. Like even like this sort of, even this sort of, you know, bad stuff. He's just like, yeah, he, yeah. he just, glancing at it sideways in a way that's great. Well, I mean, these these journeys that we're on always end up incredible on some level. You know what I mean? Like you're, I'm sure all of your touring with Chuck, you came across so many different scenarios where you're like, it's, how's this my life? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, sure, you know, sure. There was, there was some, definitely some awesome moments. And that, you know, that's, you know, I've, I've toured, I had this, strange uh career non-career um as a sort of you know a, a solo guy and also like a, a sort of peripatetic journeyman sideman uh so I've, I've toured with a lot of people in like and i find myself in weird situations where like oh well music got me here yeah that's awesome yeah and, and that's for the good and the bad. And the bad. Yeah, know? yeah, 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 exactly. Um, yeah. I, uh, I love this record, 24th Street Blues. You're, you, you're, it's funny because you write songs like a, like a guy that just writes songs all day. 
Like not like a guy that that does quote unquote sideman shit as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, like the sideman thing is something that I just I sort of I I fell into, and you know, I don't know that I'm particularly great at it. I mean, I know a lot of people. I just you know, it's something I fell into. I I was. You know, as, as a young man, I was in a band with friends and we had a certain amount of success. Yeah. And, and when, uh, and when that band broke up, um, it, I was really, really, really as a loose, at a loose end. And then I moved to San Francisco, you know, which was, you know, it's like I knew people here, but I didn't really have a community. And then, so like, I, I found myself playing just with other people just to play because I, because I could do it. Right. Right. I don't, like I said, I'm not, I'm great at it or anything like that. I had a pedal, you know, I had a pedal steel, so I got pedal steel gigs. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's... And, and then I just started getting hired for things and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm this way and that way about it, honestly, but I have a lot of guitars and I have to justify owning so many guitars. So I wind up taking gigs with people. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. Um, so the band that you're talking about that you played with was Go to Blazes, and you guys were based. You were based out of DC, but then you moved, or you started in DC, and then you moved to Philadelphia. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the band started in DC. It was just like, and and not for any good reason. It was like um, there were some clubs down there, uh, and my sister lived down there, and it just seemed like a place to you know we just went somehow. And, and it, it was, uh, it was kind of a pretty fertile time, but it, we moved to Philadelphia because it was a lot easier to live in Philadelphia. Um, uh, DC is expensive yeah. and, um, Philadelphia was cheap when we moved to Philadelphia and closer to New York. And, and, you know, we were able to rent a band house there so that we, it was like, like for nothing. Yeah. And it was amazing. You know, it was Philadelphia is the great, it's the greatest place. That's a great city, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, we, so, you know, we, we, we kind of started there and, uh, you know, it was like a weird thing. Like we came into town fully formed. So it, it just had this weird effect. Like we, we, we got a record, a small record deal when we were in DC. It was like back in the day where like, it's just such, it's just a funny thing, you know. You know, we were kind of, we were kind of, we were a little bit, you know, at the time we were kind of rockabilly influence and surf influence, and probably our, you know, like our biggest influences. This is gonna be like a straight, a funny inside baseball thing, but you know, we were very enthralled by what I call the um, Texas bar bands of the eighties. Yeah, like who? Tailgaters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tailgaters. Leroy Brothers, yeah. and very specifically Evan Johns and the H Bonds, because Evan, you know, was from DC, and his legend there just loomed so large. And Evan was just such a he was such a force. Um, and so, like, we we really loved that music, and like a lot of you know garage band stuff. Anyway, so we you know we made a record in um, in Virginia. Like, we recorded at Inner Ear Studios, which is. Uh, studio that where all the all the dc hardcore stuff was was okay. done all the minor threat and all that stuff and yeah. it was in a guy's basement in arlington virginia it was like it's just an absolutely great experience 
and back in those days, like then we just like looked on the back of record cover uh, of record covers to what labels we thought might be good. Sent out like five demos and had like two offers from small labels like within a month. And so we moved up to Philadelphia and we were waiting for a record to come out. And we just practiced every night for like, you know, we didn't really, you know, until the record came out. And then we were just like this fully formed thing in Philadelphia and it just sort of exploded for us there. That's amazing. So it was like, it was like, we were like a gang, you know, like all good bands. Yeah. Don't you miss that air? It's hard to get a band going like, uh, Oh dude. Yeah. It's terrible. It's like once people get, it's so hard. Yeah, man. No one wants to rehearse every night. And like, when you really think about it, you don't either. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, something I, about I the... don't mind rehearsing. Right. Uh, nowadays, I, you know, I, 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 sometimes I enjoy the rehearsals more than the gigs, Yeah. but I feel bad asking people to rehearse. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I don't want to put you out, pal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that kind of thing, there's there's something to be said because there's a, a, you know, I came up in that time as well. Like I had my first bands in the 80s and stuff like that. And I I worked at Whole Foods. Uh, I worked there like usually seven to three. I'd come home, take a nap, go rehearse for like three hours with my band, go out, have drinks, come home, go to sleep. Get a, Like it was every day. Like I didn't fuck around. Every day, yeah. every day. People could... It was like, you know, like you guys are really tight. Like now, 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 you know, nowadays I'm not sure if, if, if being tight is, is something that I aspire to anymore, but you guys are really tight. You know, it's like, yeah, we rehearse, you know, you know, I, you know, like my entire reputation as a guitar player came from the fact that I played, I was like the best guitar player in my band. You know, I was really good in my band. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Don't ask me to play something else, but in my band, I was great. <laughs> so how how long were you guys together? Like a decade or, or less? Uh, but just about just about 10 years, yeah. And, you know, we're all, you know, we were friends before we were in a band. And, and you know, we're, we're all still, you know, we're all still friends, you know, like, like we're, it's, it's like nothing to, you know, to call up any of the guys in the band. I'm the only one who's really, the bass player still plays, um, but I'm, and, uh, but I'm the only one who's really continued to be active in music. You know, people got on with their lives for better or worse. I went and listened to some of that stuff. It's really good. It was, it was a fun band. Yeah. And it's interesting because I don't know when the record was that I was listening to came out, but I was like, this was definitely like whatever ended up becoming Americana that uh, yeah, that Al was part of with the, that new sincerity yeah, well, thing. It kind of is based in that. What I heard was less rockabilly and more like. Yeah, well, we moved. We moved away from that really quickly. Um, we moved away. We broadened our horizons uh, pretty, pretty quickly. I mean, when we were. It you know it moved from from you know Johnny Burnett and rock and roll trio into you know uh, go, you know uh, Exile and Main Street era Rolling Stones right quick you know? yeah 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 uh, we you know we we always we could always see where that came together and we, you know we were huge we were huge songwriter fans you know yeah. loved Gene Clark loved uh, Gordon Lightfoot um, 
you know, and, and, and a lot of other, you know, a lot of other stuff. Um, and, and it was all sort of there and, and, you know, there were less distractions back then. And, um, we really listened to music a lot. You know, I don't listen to music the same way now, you know, all these years later, um, you know, to my, I'm I'm a little sad about that, but you know, once you really know how the sausage is made, you start listening to podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, um, Yeah. I'm I'm sorry to say that. So, uh, but yeah. So in that band where you guys, you guys toured in Europe and I read that you guys did, had like a, a thing going on in Germany and stuff over there. We had a we had a um, we had a very good um, German record label. Uh, so we were releasing things. You know, at the end, uh, we were signed, and that's the, the connection to Alejandro goes back. We were managed by um, the same guy that managed Alejandro, and he was a friend, a, still a close friend. who was he worked at Ryko Disc. We were on a subsidiary of Ryko Disc here called Eastside Digital Us. Um, the Bob Rockets, uh, okay. the Blood Oranges, um, handful of other kind of cool bands were on East Side Digital out of Minneapolis, and uh, which is also where Ryko Disc was from. Ryko was in in Minneapolis and Philly, and um, and we licensed our records to a, a company in Germany, and it's just like we really uh, just really did a good job with things, and so we toured pretty hard over there and it was sort of you know but we you know by the time that happened for us we had been in it for a long time and you know it, it you know none of us really saw the writing on the wall um uh certainly i didn't you know because i just you know my <laughs> i did rocker till the end yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's always a tough like you never know when to pull the plug so what what took you to uh to San Francisco. Well, I, you know, I just, I felt really, um, I was really at a loose end in Philadelphia. Like and the band broke up and, and, uh, and we sort of, we weirdly like kind of kept going after we broke up. We, we broke up in, in, in like, uh, at the end of 1996, like play, but we had, we had a, a European tour, booked uh like a you know eight months later and and we honored those commitments so we were off and then we we got to have like we got to go back to europe for like a month uh just because we wanted to you know not screw over our agent over there or the label right and um you know that was that 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 was that, that was a very cool thing to do um it was fun and then i just i was um you know love kind of took me to san francisco um my wife and I were carrying on a sort of long distance affair and, um, she was living in Portland, Oregon. I, I was living in Philadelphia. She had a friend in San Francisco. She's from San Francisco. Originally I met her in Philly. She went to art school in Philly and we just decided to like jump feet first into the pool and just meet in San Francisco, uh, and try and make a go of it here. And she had a, a you know, a place where she could live. And I, I was just, I felt, a, I felt like in Philly, I, I was drinking very heavily at the time. I, I kind of felt probably mistakenly that 
you know, I'd used up all my goodwill tickets with a bunch of people. I, I, I just, you know, it was just, I just had to go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just, I didn't feel like I could do anything else. Plus, you know, I, I have to add that it, it was a strange thing for me because in Go to Blazes, I was the guitar player. I never opened my mouth. I never sang. I, I was in a band with a singer who was so good and singing was not something that was natural to me. And it was, you know, so I like the idea of doing something by myself. I didn't want to do that in Philly. Yeah. And get judged. Yeah. I just didn't feel like I could, you know, no place to hide when you're doing that. People yeah. can seem like figure out how to sing. No, nah, you know? Yeah. So I, yeah, I came out to, um, I came out to San Francisco and I was just resolved to, uh, I was like, I'm not going to be a guy who hands his songs over to somebody else to sing ever again. And I just, it was a long, slow, arduous process learning how to sing my own songs. And I was old when I did it, you know, I, 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 I was, you know, I was old and, and, and when I say old, I was, you know, I was in my thirties when I did it. Right, so it was right. like, you know, it was tough. Um, but I just sort of, you know, I just sort of did it, you know. Yeah, yeah. How did you end and, up? Uh, you know, I moved out here, and I, 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 I wound up in two bands that sort of had a little bit of juice. You know, one, you know, like, uh, you know, and and then like wound up touring with other people, and it was like I, I moved out here, and I had a pedal, I had a pedal steel guitar, and I could play it a little bit. And that got me like a handful of gigs that right. were really influential. And um, what I were those learned gigs? On well, um, I, I was in a band with a guy um, uh, with my friend Dale Duncan had a band called Map of Wyoming, and and he had been in a band called Flying Color that were kind of like tail end of the Paisley Underground, and oh. the bass player in the band was in Translator. Um, you know, who kind of had a hit in the early eighties and Dale and, and flying color was kind of a big ish San Francisco band. Um, and so Dale, uh, just, you know, he needed a, an extra guitar. So I played guitar and pedal steel in his band and I had to learn how to play these songs that had more than three chords on them <laughs> on the pedal steel. And I put a lot of time into doing that. And, uh, and it just like, you know, and I could kind of, I could, I could play a little bit already, but it really helped me. And then, you know, I was, I was also in a band called the court and spark and they're <laughs> quite a bit younger than me and very, you know, like a very good sort of fully formed thing. I wound up getting it. They saw me play with Mapa Wyoming and I wound up in the court and spark and they were a very popular band. And now Mike, the, the singer, his band that morphed out of the court and spark is his golden messenger. Oh yeah. And they're, they're kind of very, very, you know, sort of, he's got a, like a real, a real career. And, yeah. um, you know, these were, these are terrific guys. Um, it was like, I was r really lucky, like in this weird way, like, like the, the kind of band dysfunction thing, Never really, you know, I experienced it on, on other hired dude gigs, you know, where like you go to rehearsals and you're sitting there, you're like going, what are you guys doing? Do you, do you not know how to rehearse it? Yeah. Or do you not know how to get from 
San Francisco to Santa Rosa or from San Francisco to Los Angeles, you, you know, there's only one way to go. Yeah. 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 And and, and I never experienced that with those guys. And and they were just, they had been friends and another thing, they were like, they were all friends before they were in a band. They're all, you know, like, you know, really functional people. And, you know, I, I wound up touring the United States like over and over again with them. And, uh, you know, they were, they were like a, sort of a real critics, darling band. Um, and, uh, I mean that in the, in the best sense of, yeah. of the word, you know, they had, a, they had a real thing. And so that was great. And then, you know, and then at a certain point I was playing with the court and spark and, and then I got hired by Chuck when his long-term guy, um, uh, quit. Uh, like I got the call while I was on the road. And so for a while I was playing with Chuck and uh, and also playing with the Court and Spark. Oh, okay. So that you know, that's around 2004. I was doing both, and 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 uh, yeah, it's like that was that was what I was doing, and I was also like you know trying to pursue, um, you know, like I, I put out my first solo record in 2001, mm-hmm. or maybe 2000, um, and. And, and then my second one came out while I was, while I was playing with Chuck. Okay. And the the, the space between the first one and the second one, it was like the first one was down here. And the second one, I I like, I had kind of figured it out a little bit. Yeah. The first one was the first solo record is just, I, it came out on, uh, it came out on a, um, a kind of a small label run by, uh, the guy, uh, Russ Tolman from true West. Uh-huh. And, and I just, what I say about that first one is called boarding house rules is, uh, it's the best I could do at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, man, you've definitely gotten it together and there's like some definite, like, uh, master Jedi songwriting shit going on. Like the song, like a lion it's pretty uh, intense. Is that like a real thing with you and your dad? Is that like a? Yeah, I mean, it's like yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, like fathers and sons. It's just like such a complicated thing, man. I just, I think it is anyway. Yeah. You know, I, um, uh, I, I love my, I love my parents. I love my dad. Yeah. I love my mom. I, I, there's six kids in my family. And we're all, we all, you know, there's no weird, like, you know, in like we all get along and that's like a tremendous thing. And that's a testament to, I don't know what it's a testament to, I guess to my folks. Um, but you know, my, my, my father was a, is still, he's 88 years old and he's still, he's still an imposing figure. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, yeah, you know, I, yeah, a lot of it's true, <laughs> put yeah. it that way, you know, and, and my parents are both like really devout Catholics, um, in, in a way that's, you know, not, it's like this weird thing where like they're, they're devout Catholics, but they're also super duper like, um, new deal Kennedy okay. Democrats okay. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, and super, super liberal. I mean like left, 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 left. And so their, you know, their thing is more of like a, 
there's nobody that's more dismayed with the Catholic church. My dad. Okay. Um, a realist. But he goes to church. Yeah. But, but he goes to church every Sunday. Yeah. And, 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 and in like, so my mom and dad, they believe the teachings of Christ. Sure. Meaning feed and clothe the poor, take care of the less fortunate. Right. But she's not going to follow. Right. But they're not going to follow yeah. some, some child molesting priest over a cliff. Uh, no, uh, right. but you know, at the same time, like I, you know, for me, it's like, I don't know how you can be a part of this. I don't know how you can go. I don't know how you, I don't know how you darken the door of, of, uh, I don't know how you go to church every Sunday when, when it's just this thing, you know, it's, it's a paradox, but, um, you know, there's, there's more people like them than, yeah. you know, than people let on, but you know, the, 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 you know, the, the right wings, the, the incredible right wing slant of, of religion right now is just like, it's bizarre and, and horrifying. And, and, you know, put it this way, my, my, my parents believe in, in, in the, chep, the the strict separation of church and state. Good. So, but yeah, so I, so like, like a lion, that's like, yeah, fathers and sons. And it's kind of true. It's, you know, it's kind of true. Let you me know. ask you: Did you did you grew up going to church every week? It was oh yeah, it was, was very altar boy. It was yeah, there. I was, I was, do you remember a time when mentally and spiritually you broke from that? I don't think I ever believed. Okay, you were just going through the motions okay. and doing what they told you to do. Yeah, I mean, I I I wanted it to be like this miraculous thing, and I and and um and I'm not like like I mean I like I I. I just kind of like, I can't think of a time, you know, I wanted it to be like this thing. If you pray for something hard enough, you get it. Like, so it's like, it's magic or something like that. Right. So, which is the wrong, you know, you know, the the, the wrong approach, but it it was, I mean, like it, it, I was, we were very involved in, in, you know, like church was, was like a thing, you know, it's like in my parents taught Sunday school, um, like high school is, you know, I don't know. Are, you're not Catholic, are you? Uh, yeah, I grew up Catholic. You? I mean, I, I don't. Okay, so there's a, I have all the things. There's a thing called, yeah. Yeah. There's a thing called CCD, which yeah. is Catholic something. And my parents taught like high school CCD. It was mortifying for me. It was like, you know, people come to you like for religion class, they come to your house. And so like, yeah. pe- like people from my high school were in my house once a week with my dad, like giving a, you know, teaching a CCD class on morality, you know, and he, right, and right. he, he always, and it was like, it was kind of cool. It was like, you know, like, well, the law is this and the law is that. And you're like, he, my dad's a lawyer. So, so it's like, you know, the idea of, he's an extremely principled person. And, and it was, I think people actually liked the class. People also told their parents they were going to the class and, you know, like sat outside in their car and smoked weed. So, <laughs> 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 you know, so I, so I, you know, I went through all that whole thing, and and uh, you know, I, I, you know, it's like I, you know, I never missed a day. You know, I have a song on a two records ago that's got the line in it, like, you know, I never missed a. I can't remember this, but you know, like, I, I never missed a Sunday until I was, you know, until I turned eighteen. You know, and then, and even then, even when I went home, like until I left home, and then. And even when I would go home, I would, I would go to church because it was easier to go than fight, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I had a thing where I saw one day the hypocrisy in 
the whole thing of the people that were going and it was a charade to make other people think you're fucking normal. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is bullshit. Yeah. Magical thinking sort of freaking I mean, out. I, I, you know, it's like, you know, I played, you know, I played basketball, you know, I played in the like youth basketball league. I mean, like something that my dad really wanted me to do and I hated it and I hate sports. And, uh, and people were like, you know, it's like a lot of bullying and bullshit. And it's just like, it was mortifying for like a sensitive kid. And, you know, my dad would, like, <laughs> he, would, he would, he would, he would volunteer me you know, like to, to, um, you know, I was an altar boy and he would volunteer me to like, to serve morning mass during the week because my dad wanted to go to church, uh, for whatever reason, like, you know, uh, during Lent or something like that. And I would have to serve like six o'clock mass Jesus. on weekdays before I went to, when I was in middle school. I was like, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> you know? Yeah. We're making sure you got it in when you go. We want to make sure you're going yeah, to a exactly. good place. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, so, so, uh, you know, I'll say this my parents knew some cool priests and some very cool nuns. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a, a section of my family is connected to, uh, you know, very deeply connected to like the, um, to the, the sort of the most left leaning part, part of the church. My dad's, um, my dad's sister, my aunt, um, her husband, uh, my uncle, his, his sister was, a uh, um, Mary Null nun and was one of the nuns that was assassinated in El Salvador. Oh, wow. In, yeah. And so, and, and, you know, and, you know, this is, this is like, an, uh, you know, these were my cousins, my first cousins, they grew up around the corner from me. Um, and you know, we knew her, we knew her well, she was a part of the family. Um, and it was, it was an absolutely transforming thing. And, you know, like it, it, so, you know, my view of Catholicism and stuff is, is, is sort of filtered through that a little bit. So, you know, you'll, you'll find me defending it in weird ways. Yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah. it's like, yeah. this person that, you know, that, that really walked the walk and, you know, and it, and it had a, you know, it's a devastating thing. So anyway, you know, too, too far down that road, but yeah. That's why it's complicated for me, sort of. Yeah, it definitely is. You know, um, there's a uh, one of the songs that I loved on this record is uh, "White Econo Line." Yeah, yeah, it's a great song. Plus, the two buck Chuck don't give a fuck line is great. There's okay, be a so that to- you know, that's a that's a real thing. That's like uh, when I moved out here in um in I, I can tell you how that that song came about because we were um my my mother-in-law lived in, in, in Folsom, which is, you know, just, a I don't know, a half an hour North of Sacramento starting in 2007. Um, she sort of declined into Alzheimer's and she started this long steady decline into it. So my wife and I were going up to stay with her a lot. So just like the you know, just like interstate 80 from, you know, from San Francisco up to, you know, through the, through the Delta and up into Sacramento, it was like, you would just see like farm vehicles. They were always like, like there's so many, so much like, like sort of rattle trap vans and stuff like that, where that were moving like workers around. It was also like, you know, you pass Vacaville prison up there and there was prison, like small prison transport. It just seemed like everything was a white van. 
Yeah. And a Conaline, you know, it scans better than, uh, yeah. than, than, you know, the B200 tradesman. Or GMC Savannah, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. the Conaline just scans better. Yeah. And uh, so it was like sort of just like stuff, like just like, you know, driving through the Delta. And the, the year I moved out here, um, I was I was reading in one of the weekly papers. There was this thing, you know, the two by Chuck, you know, Charles Charles Shaw yeah. Vineyards. There was the two dollar, you know, the two dollar bottle of wine. It's so amazing. Yeah. And you know, you know, Shaw. I don't know. Maybe you read the story. It was a thing like a woman who was in the in the um, vineyards working in the vineyards. You know, was not a pregnant woman. You know, dropped dead in the vineyards because she was not allowed to take a break. And I was like. Oh, and wow, yet we that. go there it goes. Yeah. And it just and, and it just it just stuck in my mind and it just like it went into the Rolodex and popped out in that song, you know. Oh, so wow. I didn't I do you know Ian Moore? Yes. Yes. Yes I do. So uh, I, I go ahead. No, you know go ahead, you go. I, I toured with him in two thousand seven and the drummer of uh of the band then uh Sky Kyle Schneider plays with Ray Wiley Hubbard, maybe you know him. But he uh, uh he uh he was very into two buck shuck. And uh anytime we were in a city that had Trader Joe's, we didn't have Trader Joe's here in Austin. It was just it was a thing. And he would come out with a case of it, you know, for like ten bucks or whatever. <laughs> I mean it was kind of like this amazing amazing value. It's like it it wasn't strictly uh you know, it wasn't you know I I understood the value of it as right. someone who drank a lot of the wine at one point, you know, and liked red wine a lot. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, sure, you know, it's just, there's always, there's always a cost for something that's that cheap. Mm-hmm. There's a cost for things that are expensive too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Two about Chuck. Yeah. yeah. There was a guy so that, it, you know, a guy that toured with us on that tour was uh, Matt Harris. Did you know him? He's been I knew Matt. Yeah. Yeah. He was a great guy. He was my roommate on that tour. Really? Yeah. Is it like I'm be- sure that had its ups and its downs. No, it was all uh, ups. <laughs> I guess that's a terrible <laughs> phrase to use. But yes, it was a <laughs> No, I, yeah. I we I I uh that was my favorite tour I've ever been on. And uh Ian and I are very old friends and Kyle and I are very old friends. And uh, and getting to hang out with Matt every day, even on our days off, you know, he always had friends everywhere. Yeah, everywhere, everywhere. everywhere. I, yeah. We would go to some dinner, but on our days off, he would you're like, hey, tag along with me. Let's go hang out with my friend that has a studio over here in Lexington or whatever. And we'll just hang out and yeah. he'll take us to dinner and then we'll come back and watch TV. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. He was Matt was. Uh, definitely one of those people. He's one of those rare people where if you, if you were, you know, I was on stage with him a couple of times, but I, you know, he was very dug in deep here because of, yeah. um, you know, various bands that he was in out here. Oranger was and the main one, right? Oranger. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, just like between, between Matt and the keyboard player in Oranger, Patrick Maine, between those two people, you know, like Matt, could play anyone's instrument in the band better than them. Yeah. It just, you know, like drummer. Yeah, he can do it. Bass yeah. player. Sure. He can do it. Guitar player. Yeah. He'll play rings around you. Yeah. Just like he was, he was like made of music. He was like astonishing guy. Um, yeah, it was, it was very, his death was very, very sad. 
Very um, sad. And it hit people, it hit people really, really hard. And it's just, it's, it's hard to watch that kind of thing. Um, then, you know, just like sort of that kind of decline and, 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 and you just, you just not a lot you can do. No, no. Um, I mean, I mean, that's the problem really. Yeah. Yeah. How is the scene now? Are you out and about in it? Are you still? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, I got really, really, I got, you know, the, the lockdown, like, you know, the funny thing about this record that's coming out, like I finished it and, and it was done. I got the final mixes for it in on March 11th of 2020. Oh God. Okay. And I just decided, you know, like I'm, I'm my own label. And I was like, okay, uh, everything closed on, you know, the, in San Francisco was like the first, like one of the first cities to really just officially drop the hammer. Right. And I just, I was like, I don't see any reason to force this out. And I watched people who had, you know, records that were scheduled to come out, um, you know, because they were on a, you know, they were on a label, right. uh, you know, push, you know, push the release and then push it again. And then you can't push it again because the label has a release schedule. Right. I, you know, I'm my own guy for better or worse. Yeah. You know, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm perfectly capable of fucking up my own release. I don't need to have somebody <laughs> else do it. <laughs> you know, real talk. Uh, and uh, so I just, I was like, you know, I'd been thinking about, really, really hard about doing the songbook that comes with it and, and, uh, and, 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 and getting that done, you know, this like, this gave me time to figure out how to do that. I got to tell you, I'm glad I've, 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 I hadn't brought it up yet, but that is a, the, uh, uh, Deirdre White who did the drawings. All great. Also, my wife, yeah. Oh, that is. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, having yeah. those things, I was like, you know, shit, don't be mad. But at some shows, I have solo shows. I might learn a couple of those songs from the thing because I really love your songs. And uh, that would be great. <laughs> do you remember? Do you, I, 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 it's beautiful. How does someone get that uh, illustrated songbook when the record comes out? It's just through your website? Uh, it's going to be available on my Bandcamp page. Okay. Okay. And people can access yeah. that through TomHeymanMusic.com, right? Uh, .net. I let dot com expire and I need to get it back uh, and somebody else owns it right now and I'm like you know so you hit it and there's just like a bunch of Chinese characters yeah are you a, <laughs> so, are you a Jules Shear fan uh, you know I know Jules Shear's music because you know I I grew up on the east coast and he was like a oh yeah he was kind of you know he played around New York and New Jersey a lot um uh, and as a songwriter, I sort of knew his name from, I guess, did he, did Cindy Lauper like cut one of his songs? Like yeah. had a big hit with one of his songs? Yeah. Uh, if she knew what night. she wanted, if she through the night, yeah. And he uh, wrote if she so knew what the, she wanted for the Bengals too. Yeah. For the Bengals, right. Yeah. So, so I knew who he was, of course, and he played Jules and the Polar Bears would play a lot around New York clubs and New Jersey clubs. And then later on, um, I think uh, he w he was managed by this guy who managed Eric Amble, who uh, produced a bunch of Go to Blazes records, and he, and also he he also managed Chuck, and Chuck made a record with him and Jim Dickinson, I think. Oh, okay. Um, 
Well, I remember, uh, you know, just go ahead. He put out this record in like 1989 or something, and I'm drawing a blank on the name of it, but it's 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 one of my favorite of his records, and I'm a big fan of his. But it's uh, that has all the chords along with the record. Not as not as elaborate as yours, but I always thought like, man, everybody should do that. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, it, the weird, you know, the thing is, is that everybody did do it at a certain point. Like if you were on, if you were on a major label or, or if you had a major publishing deal, right. oftentimes, you know, like the, there would be a songbook. So yeah. if you're somehow affiliated with, with Warner music or with Electra or, you I know, was, I was signed, just, to, I was signed to both of those and ne- never got a songbook. Well, weirdly, I like, I, do, you, do you know who uh, Kevin Salem is? Mm-mm. Uh, so Kevin was in the in that band Dump Truck, and then he was oh, like, yeah. uh, and then he was uh, Freddy Johnson's guitar player okay. for. Um, uh, he was on the like he's a guitar player on a bunch of Freddy Johnson records, and he and he I guess he was I can't remember he was signed to Roadrunner or something like that, and he put out a record called Soma City, and I'm like at the music store a little while back, and I'm flipping through the music books, and there's like a like a a proper songbook for that record, and I think it's like I think he was published by you know somebody and they did a songbook and that was like the way that was part of the reason why i did this book was that like when i was a kid yeah and i was trying to learn how to play guitar um you know i'd I'd go to the music store you know the place where i took some guitar lessons yeah there'd be a rack of books you know and it would be like there's harvest and it looks just like harvest yeah yeah and you and and except that you open it up and it's got you know there's that there's that Oh, that's how you, that that's that weird chord in 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 uh, you know an old man. What is it like? Uh, yeah, you know, that, that weird that weird chord in old man. Oh, there it is. There's the weird chord in, in out on the weekend. Even though it's, it, it, it wasn't tablature, you know. Right. But and so it looked exactly like the album, except it have more photographs in it because there were more pages to sort of cover. Yeah, yeah. And so like I had that. You know, I had other you know songbooks. You know, from records. And then, but the big one for me was uh, there was a songbook and, the, and sort of the, the model for this, there was a book that I had that was, it combined uh, Working Man's Dead and American Beauty, the, the two oh, cool, yeah. sort of, you know, the back-to-back, the sort of bookend Grateful Dead records, you know, from, you know, that are sort of like their, the apex of their career in sure. a way, whatever. And, um, the book is designed by uh, Alton Kelly and Stanley Mouse, famous San Francisco poster artists. And it's this huge, almost, it's like not cloth bound, but it's really heavy paper. And each um, each song has a bespoke piece of art that is just like mind blowing. And I had it as a kid and you know, I, you know, that's how I learned how to, you know, like, yeah. You know, like yeah, that, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I, I like figured that out, but you know, that, that wasn't in there, but the chord was there and I kind of right. figured, you know, like, Oh, what comes next? But you know, like, like the, you know, friend of the devil, it just has this, like, it had this incredible, every piece of, every piece of music had like, and you know, there's, there's the picture for Cumberland blues and it's the entrance to a mine and like incredible poster. Yeah, and then yeah. you turn the page, eight pages of sheet music in sort of like, a calligrapher's hand. It was like so designy and cool. And I was like, that's what I want to do with this book. It's about the neighborhood. It's about sort, you know, sort of, and, 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 and I want it to be illustrated like that. And that was sort of like the, the thing behind the book in a way. 
Plus, I wasn't gonna do I wasn't gonna do vinyl, right? And I was like, it's nice I was to like, have I'm something determined. to sell. Yeah, and yeah. so and then I just, I wound up doing vinyl anyway, just because I'm an idiot. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people seem to want it, so that's good. Which, which is uh, horrifying to me because it's expensive and fragile and heavy. Yeah. So it's hard to deal with. Yeah. And here, like you can't take it with you anywhere right now because it's 108 degrees outside. And if you get out of your car at 7-Eleven to get, you know, a pack of gum, you're going to fuck up your whole inventory. You would need a, you need to pack it in a cooler. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Well, man, this is great. And so the book will be available also on October 6th. Yeah, everything is everything is. I mean, I have everything right now. Right. It's like you know, That's like good. I'm so I'm so prepared. Yeah. That you know, like the, the the thought of like having a record release party or something like that without a um without vinyl. I've seen so many so many of my friends do that. No, like you know, the factory is fully stocked. So I'm I'm ready. And then I'm gonna the pre order will be up on my Bandcamp page sometime in the next couple of weeks. Right. And that'll determine whether I need to do another run of vinyl or not. Um. And the this the single that's out right now is Twenty Fourth Street Blues itself, right? Like the title. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And and uh, the second single's coming out uh, on the 29th of August. Oh, so that comes with what's video. What's that? It's the mission is on fire. Okay. <laughs> Some of that Catholicism sneaking out. <laughs> well, no, it's like oh. the actual neighbor. The actual neighborhood. You oh, know. Right. So, right. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's right. it. That's the thing. That's my hood. Uh, so, yeah. Well, dude, this has been great talking to you, man. I hope that you come down to Austin and we get to meet I, in person. I really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm gonna hopefully get down there. You know, I I did some stuff back in 2018. Uh, I guess I was there. Yeah, I was there in 2018. I did uh, some shows with my pal Eric Hysaw. So, oh, yeah, maybe I'm. I mean, he's a hard-working dude. He is and a hard-working so, dude. So maybe I'll try and, and, and pull something together with him down there. Um, it would be fun to come back. Definitely, man. Well, it's great. Yeah, great talking to you and great meeting you. I'll, I'll stay in touch with you on the on the social medias and stuff, and I'll let Wendy know when this is dropping. It'll be a couple of weeks. So It's great. It was really uh, fun to talk to you. Um, thanks Likewise. so much for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for doing the show. We'll do it again, hopefully. See you, man. Okay. Gang, that was Tom Heyman. His album, 24th Street Blues, comes out Friday, October 6th. That's next Friday. Uh, It also comes with an illustrated songbook done by Deirdre White, his wife. Go to TomHeymanMusic.net to find out when you can go see him play, to find out how to get the songbook, to figure out how to get records, how to do whatever you need to do to get involved. I want to thank uh, Tom for doing the show. He's a great, great dude. Go to TomHeymanMusic.net for all of your Tom Heyman needs. All right? Uh, All right. Hey, gang, when you're out there checking out TomHeymanMusic.net, don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you find podcasts, be it Spotify, Apple, uh, Overcast, TuneIn, wherever it is you find them, Google Podcasts, anywhere. They're everywhere. New shows every Tuesday and every Friday. You can go back and check out the From the Vault, my great conversation with Doug Wimbish that just dropped on Saturday night. That's the last episode before this one. Also, if you do want to go check out the MC Taylor conversation, 
MC Taylor from His Golden Messenger. That's also available on the streaming sites right now. 1307 is the, is the episode from August 28th. It's about a month ago. All right, thanks for listening to the show. I want to thank Tom for doing the show. Check out his record, 24th Street Blues. Have a great week. Let's get down. I was desperate for something. Desperate for something. And I turned my back, started running wild. I was desperate for something. Desperate for something. I could feel it just beyond my eyes. Stretch hands against my fingers like the finest grains of sand. I can see it in a distant flash of light. Then it's gone. I'm alone in the night. Thing.